The In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding. Welcome along to the latest In-Depth Podcast and I'm delighted to uh, welcome the President of the Committee for Economic Development, Deputy Charles Parkinson. Welcome to Ireland FM. Good morning, Richard. Now, uh, first off, I'd like to ask this question to get a bit of background, um, you know, sure. on your past, your life before the state. So what were you doing before? Well, I was basically a, an accountant in practice and I ran a, uh, a, a large trust company in Guernsey. And, uh, you know, what um, you know, got you interested in, in standing for the States? Well, I've been interested in politics all my life. I actually did politics A-level, you know, a very long time ago. So um, it's, it's just been an interest from <clears throat> almost day one. And um, uh, I, I stood unsuccessfully sometime in the 1980s. Um, and then thought, because I didn't uh, get in, I thought, well, I better concentrate on my career. And so then put put politics to one side for 20 years and then stood again in 2004. And you were also a lawyer, I understand, as well. Yeah, I read law at university and then... Um, so uh, after I qualified as an accountant, I thought, you know, that's unfinished business. I'd like to uh, tidy that up. So I went back and did the bar exams and uh, and passed them. So, yeah, I'm both. So out of the two, which do you prefer and why, would you say, the law and accountancy? Um, to, to be honest, I'm not mad about either. I'm much more interested in other things, but they, they are both... Uh, careers good ways to earn a living and 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 they've served me very well in that respect so do you think politics has provided that uh, career satisfaction you maybe didn't get from those yeah yeah or... politics is very interesting or at least some of some of the time it's very interesting and i enjoy the the business of government um i'm less enamored of the parliamentary process now, we might get on to that a little later. Now, you served between um, 2004 and 2012 uh, before uh, returning in a by-election, very sadly after the death of Martin Storey in 2015. You were re-elected the following year. So you must have seen uh, various different state systems. Uh, what, what are your comments on the, the differences, uh, maybe the, the differences in, um, in government and the, and the setup over the last few years? Well, it's become very fractious, and um, uh, you know the atmosphere in the in the states now is not good, uh, which is a shame. Uh, and I don't really know what's driving that. I don't put it down to systems of government because I think actually at the end of the day, good people can make any system work, and and a good system won't fix the problem if the if the people aren't the right people. So um, I, it's just. I don't know what's gone wrong, but it's it's just become a quite nasty environment. Do you think that's, um, without naming anyone, to do with personalities rather than the system? Yeah, I think uh, probably it is, basically. Um, you, you, you know, to, to get a uh, non-party system working where everybody's a- acting as independents, there has to be just a general level of cooperation, and um, and, and sadly that's somehow lacking. Do you think a ministerial system would work better for Guernsey? I don't know. As I said, I don't think you can blame the system. I think uh, what we really need is for some good candidates to stand at the next election in June next year and and to uh, to, to to you know really work as a team to take things forward. But could could a, a, a ministerial system give uh, more of a, a sense of discipline that you can actually maybe control? Uh, it might be a little bit like herding cats, you know, uh, c- control maverick. 
um, deputies, and so that they makes their own course on beam. Yeah, I, I, but I think um, in in effect, what if you want that kind of discipline and 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 a, and a purpose for government, a sense of direction, you you probably end up with party politics. I think that's a, a bigger component than than ministerial i mean just putting somebody in charge and saying right you're the minister in a system like ours doesn't give them effective political control because uh yes of course they can run their department but they you know they'll be they could be continuously outvoted in the assembly on everything they want to do and so you're really no further forward if you've got a sort of party political system then that uh, minister's presumably supported by a parliamentary majority and then they can really get stuff done now startup guernsey um that's closing down at the end of the year after 20 years um the states have decided to pull funding and uh, your your committee has decided that um why was that decided and what's going to replace it well we have a number of promotional agencies uh, in the committee for economic development we have visit guernsey uh, locate guernsey guernsey finance uh, digital greenhouse and and startup Guernsey and and we've been thinking of ways of trying to rationalise this and um, simultaneously this uh, the environment has changed because the states has entered into this contract um, with Agilisys called the Future Digital Services contract and as part of that Agilisys are committed to spending a certain amount of money assisting uh, economic development in Guernsey. And uh, we also have uh, interesting developments at the Chamber of Commerce, who've become very active in, and have set up a very effective, um, I don't know what you call it, workshop or uh, uh, studio in, in the market buildings, which is proving very popular, and, and they want to help in this area. And Barclays Digital Eagles have been supporting the Digital Greenhouse, Digital Greenhouse has been going great guns and is, is now sort of almost full. And uh, so we, we looked around um, at the, the, the whole scene of all these, uh, this plethora of agencies we had. And, and we've been trying to think, well, how can, we, how can we get the best bang for the buck? You know, um, uh, whatever it is, five different agencies all promoting different aspects of economic activity in Guernsey. Obviously, there is a certain amount of overlap and, and duplication of the resources that they use. So we, we've had a good hard think about it. And what we concluded was that um, although Startup Guernsey has done a you know, sterling job over 20 years or whatever it is, um, actually that function could be fulfilled by the Chamber of Commerce working with the Digital Greenhouse working with Agilisys um, <clears throat> and, and other participants. And so uh, we're, and we're, we're great believers in public-private partnership uh, at, at the Committee for Economic Development because we have very limited resources, uh, a total budget of about six million, which in the state's terms is very, very small. And so to, to have the maximum effect on economic growth, we need to work in partnership with the private sector. And here we have uh, some very willing volunteers in terms of the Chamber of Commerce. And um, we just think we, we can do this better. We can provide budding entrepreneurs with a deeper and broader level of advice using the resources that are now available to us in the private sector.
Now, on to Aurini. Now, uh, Aurini has uh, raised concerns about the quasi-open skies, saying the, you know, the increased competition has hit profitability on the Gatwick route. So, in a sense, you've got the states providing funding to a competitor to the state's own airline. Um, how, how would you respond to those those criticisms? Well, we're doing um, some analysis at the moment with our consultants on uh, what the impact of open skies has been. Uh, clearly, Gatwick has lost, uh, uh, I think it's about 13,000 passengers year to date. Um, Heathrow has, has carried a, a, a great number of new passengers. Southampton has uh, increased hugely. And of course, we have uh, a new route to South End. So the London market is changing quite considerably and we need to understand where if passengers have migrated from one route to another where they've come from where they're going to and what why you know uh, if if they're flying from Heathrow is it because they live near Heathrow so when we have a full analysis of what has happened we will be in a better position to make policy decisions ourselves and to advise the policy and resources committee who um uh, you know, fund uh, airline subsidies where we give them. And actually, there is only one in existence. That's the Heathrow route. Um, so that uh, we can make sure these decisions are uh, having the right effect and not um, having perverse effects. Uh, for, for, the analysis is still going on. But uh, what we've seen so far suggests that um, although Heathrow has had some impact on Gatwick, it's actually quite minor. And, um, uh, you know, the Southampton route, where um, Orini themselves are offering fares of £20 to get to Southampton, um, is, is, has caused a significant loss of business at Gatwick. So um, I'm afraid Orini have, to some extent, shot themselves in the foot. <laughs> Now, um, continuing on this uh, subject uh, of the airlines and, and the airport, you, you previously said you'd be in favour of lengthening the runway. Uh, so do you well, support what D Deputy Crystal-Bashers um, uh, brought forward last week? Last yes, week? well, Richard, I have to correct you. What I've said is I'm in favour of um, doing the business case, the cost-benefits analysis, to see if a runway extension would be beneficial for Guernsey. And yes, I did support Deputy Kutlvash's riquette last week, and I was glad we won by one vote. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that in 2009, Guernsey rehabilitated its runway without significantly extending it. We extended the, the runway and safety areas, but we didn't. the, we, the runway itself remained um, at or about its current length. At much the same time, the Isle of Man did a, a, a similar project on their runway, but they extended it in the process. Uh, to enable it to take um, Airbus-type planes and, and, and therefore low-cost carriers and uh, British Airways, and amongst others. And it's interesting to plot the difference in result since 2009. Essentially, the Isle of Man has seen a steady increase in the number of passengers um, going through their airport. And Guernsey has seen, until this year, steady decline. Now, um, I remember the discussions in, in 2009 as to whether we should extend the runway and the view at the time in Guernsey, and, uh, based on advice from consultants, was that there were, weren't airlines out there who would want to fly to Guernsey on, using a longer runway. So we didn't extend it. 
But uh, since then, uh, I know from my, my own committee's experience, we've had conversations with people like EasyJet who have told us, yes, we'd be very interested in talking to Guernsey if you had a runway that could accommodate us. And we see what's happened in Jersey, where they, uh, EasyJet introduced uh, their first service to Jersey was from Liverpool. And they've steadily expanded the number of services to Jersey. I think they now have 10 uh, routes to Jersey, one of which, of course, is Gatwick, but the rest are regional routes. And, and they seem to be very happy with their Jersey operation. And, and so it's not surprising that they're telling us, well, yes, of course, we'd be interested in talking to Guernsey if you had a runway that we could use. And so um, I do believe it's, it needs to be looked at. The question is begged by the facts. You know, why has Guernsey seen 20 plus years of decline? We've lost 100,000 passengers uh, through Guernsey Airport in the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, Okay, we've started to reverse that trend this year with market interventions like uh, introducing open skies and and the subsidised Heathrow route. But, um, you know, fundamentally, something is is very wrong. We shouldn't have been in a position where uh, we were losing uh, visitors and and traffic through the airport year after year after year. Now, uh, Gatwick slots, there's been talk about actually selling off um, or leasing out some of the uh, Aurini's Gatwick slots. Do you favour that? Well, I I don't know. We have six pairs of slots at Gatwick. And whether that's the right number or, the, or not, uh, I think is an open question. The business community are telling us that they would be happy with four flights a day to Gatwick if it meant that they could get EasyJet-like fares. So, um, you know, there there is an open d- question there, something that we need to discuss. Uh, would it be better for us to to operate fewer flights and, and have uh, get, get the prices down, make it a cheaper operation? And and also the environment's changing because um, the uh, recent report on Orany efficiency by outside consultants said that um, Gatwick appears to be trying to price out the regional uh, airlines, especially during the summer months, and their their landing fees have gone up very steeply. Well, you know, if we if we're in a world where Gatwick Airport is basically trying to make it very expensive for regional carriers to to operate into Gatwick, then that's not a, that's not a, a, a friendly environment for a business like Orany, and and so Orany itself may have to think about uh, introducing larger planes and reducing r- the number of rotations because. You, you know, the landing fees are charged every time you land. And if you land six times a day, it's going to cost one and a half times or more what it costs to land four times a day. It's it's as simple as that. If, if you had four rotations in bigger planes, you'd be spreading the cost across um, more people. So um, there, there are interesting questions which... Uh, we need to work with uh, PNR and the States, States Trading Supervisory Board to, to try and resolve what future policy should be. I don't think six slots at Gatwick should be sacrosanct. I think it's something that we should review. 
Now, uh, everybody talks about di diversifying the economy, and uh, one recent example of that has been um, growing uh, medicinal can cannabis. So do you think um, medicinal and maybe even recreational cannabis growing could become a major industry in Guernsey? I think it, it, it's becoming an industry. There, I think there are three companies now licensed to produce it. Um, I'm going on after this uh, interview to meet with a another company that wants to set up in Guernsey. There's certainly a lot of interest in the market. Uh, personally, my view is that actually the the horticultural aspects of growing cannabis aren't terribly exciting from an economic point of view. Um, you know, basically, if you've got a greenhouse full of cannabis plants, you you plant seeds and you eventually harvest the plant. But the the, the value added is not huge uh, in that part of the process. I think the more exciting opportunities are taking the fully grown plants and processing them to become some kind of medicinal compound. Now, there, I think the value added is potentially very significant. So. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm more interested in that um, sort of second stage, if you like. Uh, we've had some inquiries from people who do want to process cannabis. Um, I'm in favour of looking into all these things, but um, that to me seems the area most likely to be profitable for Guernsey. Yeah, with the with the higher markup on that. Now, you described the potential for Guernsey to become a safe haven for high net worth individuals. So, what more more could the island be doing to to encourage them here? Well, we obviously have a very attractive environment now, uh, but the you know the the world around us is changing. Uh, global warming is uh, is affecting countries in different ways, and the playgrounds of the rich have been Monaco and Marbella and. Uh, you know, well-known resorts around the Mediterranean, which are all becoming uh, increasingly unbearable in the summer, you know, temperatures over 40 degrees, and in the case of southern Spain, running out of water. Well, um, that plus, um, you know, frankly, uh, Guernsey has a, is a very safe environment. We have very low rates of crime, uh, far less than some of these other places. I think uh, we can put together a proposition which would be attractive to high net worth individuals who might previously have opted for Monaco. I think Guernsey... Uh, in some respects, our climate is, is becoming more benign. It's uh, certainly becoming warmer. Um, and, um, you know, we have that safety, which I think is crucial for those very high net worth people. So I think if we get the product right for them, I think this could be an attractive place. And commutable for London as well. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Within an hour, you know, these people have private jets, you know. Um, uh, to, for them to get to London or Paris is, is you know, 35 minutes. Now, the model for funding public services has been described as unsustainable by PNR President Deputy Gavin St. Pierre. Um, so what do you think would be the best way of raising more revenue? Well, I'm, I'm a long-standing supporter of um, reforming our corporate tax system because I think it's absurd that companies doing business in Guernsey, um, the large majority of them pay 0% income tax. And uh, I think that's the first port of call. We need to to introduce something called territorial 10% 10, 10 tax, which means 10% tax, but only on profits generated in Guernsey. And I think that would produce significant sums for the Exchequer.
But uh, aren't a lot of companies, you know, there might be domiciled here, don't, might they not raise most of their income off Ireland? Well, so. exactly, and they won't have to pay tax on it. Yeah. And that will remain, and it needs to remain, because, um, that, of course, that's the core of the finance industry, mm. is companies here that do business around the world and um, uh, benefit from our low-tax regime, and that, that should remain. Now, away from politics, yeah, you wrote a historic book called Lizia, Vortigern's Island. That was published in 2012. Now, how did you go about researching that? And, uh, you know, do you, do you have a love of yeah. history? And I do, yes. My father was a historian, so perhaps I inherit it. But um, I, I was fascinated by Guernsey's early history because there didn't, there didn't appear to be very much about it. And, and, and some of the sort of Victorian works on the subject were pretty un, unscientific. So um, I just got sort of fascinated by it and and the more I looked into it the more interesting it became so I, mostly I started the research on the internet and then you 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 can get a sort of general picture off the internet but then when you if you want to dive deep into a subject you have to go and um, do your research and you know in proper libraries and so on and um, I, I went back to Cambridge which is the university I attended and, and um, spent you know, days in the Cambridge University Library, which is a fascinating place because it's it's a copyright library, so they have a book, a copy of every book published in the English language, oh. and um, so you know it's quite difficult to find them. But that's a, another problem. Uh, when you do, then you've you've got um, pretty well all, all knowledge is there. Yes, and the Prio is an amazing resource as well in the states. Aren't they? Indeed, yeah. the, the, the Prio was was very helpful. The staff they were very helpful, and and of course they have some some old Guernsey sources, which which probably even the Cambridge Library doesn't have. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, have you decided whether you're planning to stand again next year? And um, yes, I, Richard, I do intend to stand, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, so that'll be uh, another chapter. Yes. Would you like to continue in the same role? Or, or I do. Else? I, I would um, because uh, I love this job. Um, I've I've done various jobs in the states, as you as you know. I was uh, Minister of Treasury and Resources back in 2012. But um, I I really enjoy uh, the Committee for Economic Development. So I'm I hope I'm able to carry on with it. Well, we've got Christmas coming on the way. Is there anything uh, you know? How are you planning to spend your Christmas and your I'll be here in Guernsey. Um, uh, I just bought a house in in the Catel um, during the summer, and uh, so we're um, you know this will be my first Christmas at the new house, and that's uh, going to be an interesting experience. Uh, but uh, we're not um, planning to do anything very sort of flash or expensive. We're just going to have a a jolly time at home. Now, uh, this time of year, especially coming up to the new year, we always like to, to look ahead. Uh, are there any hopes and uh, thoughts for the states for, for maybe the year to come or even the next few years? Well, obviously, in general terms, uh, as I've already said, I'm, I'm hoping that the general election in June 2000, uh, 2020 will go well. Uh, it's going to be a challenge, I think, uh, with um, an island-wide voting system, but hopefully the logistical problems will be overcome. I'm hoping the election will bring in a flood of new talent and that the the, the new states will be a, a more um, uh, coherent and um, uh, you know cooperative states than the one we have now. And that um, it can set to work with a will and uh, make good progress for the, in the next four years. Deputy Charles Parkinson, thanks very much for joining us. You're very welcome. You've been listening to the In Depth Podcast with Richard Harding.